Our scripture reading this morning is from Luke chapter 2, verses 22 to 38. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher, she was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. This is the word of the Lord. morning. Um, just before we kind of get into Luke, let me say what Alan said. Uh, thank you uh, just for your patience uh, as we've uh, just tried to figure out the best way to, to gather. Um, last thing we wanted to do was kind of jump back and forth between gathering times. So um, thanks for your patience, uh, especially if you're one of the ones that maybe turned up when you thought we were gathering and we were already gathering or, or something like that. So um, thank you. Uh, we're just going to continue to figure it out, going to continue to ask the Lord for wisdom, uh, try to make the best decisions uh, for our community. Um, last two Sundays were great, though, weren't they? I just kind of take them as an as a encouragement, as a blessing. Um, what, a, what a great problem to have um, that we've actually grown um, through the pandemic. We can't fit everyone in. So uh, praise, praise the Lord, right? Um, although things are hard, although things aren't the way we want them to be, um, I've never been more excited about what's happening, what the Lord's doing uh, with our church, where He's taken us, and just to be uh, on the journey with you all. So, want to get into Luke? Um, we started last week just by looking at, at Luke's intro, 
really his preface to the gospel. He kind of tells us, here's why I'm writing, here's why you should listen. Um, we we read, just spent most of our time looking at the purpose that Luke gave us for him writing this book, um, and he said that purpose is to give Christians certainty. So he's, he's concerned for your faith. He, he's concerned for, for uh, that, that we would be certain um, about who Jesus is. That's, that's who this gospel's about. He, he wants us to be certain about what Jesus said, what He did, what He did for you, accomplished for you uh, on, his, on, on the cross, what He's actually called you into, what he's, he's told us to go now do in His name as His disciples. He wants us to be certain about, the, uh, about that. Um, uh, really, we'll make our, as we make our way through Luke's gospel, we see that the, the certainty that he's, that he's offering us, it isn't based on the information that he's gathered, though. It's, it's based on this person that he's pointing us to. It's, he's, it's based on who the information is about. Um, Luke, Luke's, with this gospel, he's holding out this, this accurate portrait of Jesus, not so that we can just know more about him, but so that we can know him more. And that's, that's our goal as, for this series, as we make our, through, uh, our way through Luke's gospel. We're just going to sit and gaze upon Jesus uh, and marvel at him, get to know him more, uh, get, get a little bit closer in, in a way, because knowing him, trusting in him as a person is, is what our faith is based on. Um, our faith isn't based on having all the correct information, although that's not a bad thing. Uh, our, our faith is based on knowing who Jesus is. Um, really, through Advent, we started doing that. Through the first two chapters, uh, we looked at the promise of the arrival of Jesus, uh, angels are, uh, turning up, preparing people for Jesus' arrival, um, Zachariah, Elizabeth, John the Baptist, Mary and Joseph, shepherds. Um, we looked at his, his lowly birth of this child who was sent from heaven to be the world's Savior and, and, and their King. Um, today, we'll pick up the, the story back in chapter 2, verse 21. Um, let me pray for us one more time. Um, Lord, we need you. We, we thank you for, uh, for loving us uh, so much that you'd send your only son uh, to come uh, enter into our suffering, uh, die for us, and, and to make a way for us to be near you. Um, we thank you for your love. Um, Holy Spirit, teach us today. Um, we need you more than ever. Um, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, so we left the story off just before Christmas, the, the baby Jesus lying in a manger in a feeding trough uh, of all places. Uh, and really, we picked the story back up eight days later. Actually, go back to verse 21. Verse 21 says, at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. So right away, we actually, we actually see a lot about Jesus' parents, about Mary and Joseph. Um, I, I think next week I'm going to take a little bit of a, a deeper look into that, but what, what we see in this verse is, is Mary and Joseph are obedient Jews. Uh, they, they, they follow the law that God had given them in the Old Testament, uh, and according to that law, they took Jesus to be circumcised on the eighth day, they, they give him the name that God told them to give Jesus, uh, which is Jesus, means Savior or Yahweh saves. Um, again, next week we'll look a little bit more at that, but verse 22, and when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought Jesus up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. They, they came to offer a sacrifice according to what the law of the Lord said. 
pair of turtle doves and two young pigeons. So um, I, I think next week we'll I'll try to explain some of that purification law stuff. But just for this week, just Luke is trying to, again, tell us these are, these are obedient parents. These, these are good, righteous, God-fearing Jews. They, they bring Jesus to the temple for this dedication ceremony. Um, the law says, your firstborn, bring him to be uh, presented to the Lord, to be dedicated into the Lord's service. But in verse 25, we'll spend the next, pretty much all of our time looking at this section. Um, I, I want us to see what this next section tells us about Jesus, because that's our goal. We want to know Jesus, know more about Him, uh, know Him more. Uh, and really what we see about Jesus, what we learn about Jesus from these verses is He's radically inclusive He's radically divisive, and he's radically subversive. So those are really our, our three kind of main points. He's, Jesus is radically inclusive, he's radically divisive, and he's radically subversive. Um, so here we have Mary and Joseph. They bring their, their infant Jesus, who's 40 days old at this point. Um, they, they've turned up for this purification ceremony for Jesus' dedication. And Luke gives us this fascinating turn of events um, if we're honest, it's kind of weird as well, but he, he tells us, he introduces us to verse, in verse 25 to this, this man, this old man called Simeon. And this is what Luke tells us about Simeon. He says he's righteous and devout. Um, he, he's saying Simeon walks with the Lord. He's, he's, he's upright in his relationship with God. He's, he's godly. He's a God-fearing man. Luke says he's, he's waiting on the consolation of Israel. So that word consolation, it means encouragement. It means comfort. He, he's waiting on this, this long-awaited, this, this promised comforter of Israel to come. This is this, this hope that God would, would send someone to, to rescue and to comfort his people. That, that's what Simeon is longing for. That's what he's waiting for. Uh, we're told the Holy Spirit was upon him. So there's this powerful, manifest presence of the Holy Spirit upon this man, Simeon. Um, and lastly, and I think maybe most fascinating, the Lord told Simeon that he would not see death before he set his eyes on the Christ. Like, like how amazing is that? Um, he, what, what a picture of, of Advent. Um, he's, he's waiting on this promised comforter, on this rescuer to come. You won't die until you see him. Like, imagine what that must have been like for him to, to, to hear that and to live in that waiting and in that anticipation. To wake up every day and, and wonder, is this the day? Like, will I see him today? Like, he's getting old. He's like, I don't have much, much time left. Like, surely he's coming soon. And if you put yourself in Simeon's shoes, I, I think it's reasonable that the first thing you would probably do is, is figure out who you're looking for. Who, who is this, this promised Messiah? Simeon would have, he would have poured over those Old Testament texts that, that spoke of this coming rescuer. And he would have known Isaiah 9. He would have memorized it. it that, that text that shows about this light that is coming for the people who are dwelling in darkness. That those who dwelt in this land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. That's what Isaiah 9 tells us about this, this, this promised light, this, this, this rescuer that says this Messiah will be a child who will be born unto us. That's who Simeon's looking for. That's who he's, he's waiting on. And he gets up one day in verse 27. The Holy Spirit tells him to go to the temple. And so he does. And he comes to the temple, and there's Mary and Joseph 
and this baby, this child, Jesus. Simeon, he spots them maybe across the courtyard, and he knows, he's like, that's the one. For some reason, the Holy Spirit has, has guided him here, and he, he's, he's like, this is the one I've been waiting on. And he goes, and he takes Jesus into his arm, and he begins to sing a song to him. That's weird, isn't it? Like, if we're honest, it's a bit creepy, isn't it? This, the, like, if you just think of the, the, the reality of what's happening here, um, it's a little bit weird. Like, put yourself in Mary and Joseph's situation. Like, you're just trying to do, you're trying to be obedient, go up for this dedication like we're told to. You'd be completely in your right to just, like, give me my baby back, you weirdo. Like, this crazy guy comes up. Like, imagine we're going to do a de- dedication. Imagine we're dedicating Nora, and this strange old man comes in and takes, him, takes her in, in his arms and just begins to sing to her. Like, no, that, you're weird. That's, that's not okay. But Mary and Joseph, they listened to him. And in verse, 20, verse 33, says they marveled at what Simeon said about Jesus. They, they were amazed by this. Like, you have to think, like, maybe they're just used to just bizarre things happening at this point. It's been a, a wild year, angels just turning up and, and telling them things. Mary, pregnant, never had sex before in her life. Like, shepherds just turning up in the middle of the night to worship your baby. Like, it's been a weird string of events, right? So here comes this strange old man singing to their baby. Like, let's listen to him. Let's see what, let's see what he has to say, at least. And after hearing him, they're, they're amazed. Let's look at what he says about Jesus. Read from verse 29. Simeon's holding Jesus in his arms, and he says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. Here's why. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and for glory to your people in Israel. So he's holding Jesus in his arms, and the first thing that comes to his mind is, is God's word, what, what God told him. He says, finally, Lord, finally I can die in peace, according to your word. You, you said I wouldn't die until my eyes have seen the Christ. Here he is. I'm looking at him. I'm holding him in my arms. I'm in possession of him. There's, I'm happy to go now. There's nothing more for me to, to accomplish. Verse 33, verse 30, you're letting me d- depart in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. I'm looking at him. I, I'm, I, I have him. This child, he's God's salvation. He's the one who has come to save. And then in verse 31 to 32, he he describes this salvation, which is really our first point, that Jesus is radically inclusive. Well, we see that Jesus is, is inclusive by the way Simeon describes this salvation. Who, who did Jesus come to save? Jesus, Simeon says, my eyes have seen your salvation. I'm holding them that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for the revelation of the Gentiles. You hear that Isaiah 9 language, this light. That's coming to bring God, to, to illuminate God's people, to bring them out of the gloom into the, the marvelous light. And he says, this light for the Gentiles and glory for your people, Israel. So this is salvation for all people, a light for Gentiles, glory for Israel. 
the way, the, the way a Jewish mind would, would kind of divide up the world at that time is really just in two. There's, there's, there's the Jews, God's people, and then there's everybody else, the Gentiles. And this song is saying God's saving grace has come for all, Jew and Gentile. His, his salvation that He promised to His people is being offered to everyone. There, there's no distinction here. There's, there, there's no reference to your tribe to, to your race, to your nationality, to your gender. Nothing about you is, is, is holding this offer of salvation to you. And you actually see as this child grows up, this plays out. As he lives his life, you see him extend compassion, extend mercy to, to women and to men, to, to the rich and to the poor. To, to, radic- to, to racial insiders and to racial outsiders, to the morally upright and to the moral failures, to, to, to good citizens and to criminals. His grace is extended to all. His salvation is offered to all, which we kind of like, don't we, as like modern progressive people. We say, that's great. Like Jesus is for everyone. He's, everyone is included. But there's a jagged edge to this truth, isn't there? Because this means that God's grace and His salvation has come for the people that you don't like. Like, everybody, everybody just like everybody? Probably not. The, the, he's talking, the, these are the, the people that, that you despise, the people that you think are, are annoying or, or awful or despicable means that if you find yourself kind of more on the left side of things politically, that God's grace is extended to those on the right. If you find yourself more on the right side of things, God's grace is extended to those on the other side as well. Like if you think like anti-vaxxers are just crazy, like just part of the problem, wearing a mask is silly, God's grace is extended to those people. Here's the point, is that Jesus came, comes not just for the people in your tribe, not just for the people on your team. And author Anne Lamont has a, has a, Lamont has a great quote where she says, you can safely assume you've created God in your image when it turns out God hates all the same people that you do. You've created God in your own image when you think God's on my team. Like he, he, he agrees with me and actually hates all the people that I hate. She's saying you can safely assume that's not the God of the Bible because the God of the Bible that we see here is Jesus being radically inclusive, like radically uncomfortably inclusive. He offers His saving grace to all peoples. Now, there is a tension here because we also see that Jesus is, is divisive. He's inclusive, but He's also divisive. And you might be thinking, well, how can that be? How can He be both? Just after Simeon sings this song about God being this light to all peoples, he turns and he offers to Mary this almost ominous message. Look at verse 34. He says, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. He turns to Mary and he's like, This isn't an ordinary child, Mary. Some people are going to rise up. Some people are going to fall down on account of this child. 
That word fall, it means to crash. It means to ruin. It's absolute calamity. That word rise literally means resurrection. It's this rise to life. And Simeon is saying this child will bring about both of those things for many people. Like some people are going to worship him. Some people are going to hate him. They'll oppose him. That's, that's what he says at the end of verse 34. This child we appointed for the fall and rising of many and a sign that is opposed. He's going to be opposed. Imagine hearing that as a, as a parent. Like, yeah, like your child, it's so cute. It's a, a lot of people are going to oppose this baby. He's, he's going to experience opposition and conflict. Here's the point, is Jesus is going to divide the world. He, he's divisive. It's not the Christmas card, Jesus, is it? Like, let's just keep it to peace on earth, goodwill towards everyone. And Sim, Simeon says, that's true. But this child will also divide. He will also be opposed. You see, if, if all you know is is sweet baby Jesus lying in a manger, this doesn't really make sense. But when you look at the rest of his life, when you look closely at the things that Jesus said, particularly at the things that he, the claims he made about himself, it actually makes a lot of sense. What you, what you see is the claims that Jesus made about himself. They're so audacious. They're, they're so bold, seemingly over the top that they by necessity divide the world. Here's what Jesus said about himself, just a couple, couple things. In Matthew 28, Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. What a claim. Like all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus is saying, I rule over the nation of Israel. I, I control the Roman Empire. I have authority over the United Kingdom and Ireland and the United States. He controls death and, and every birth that's ever happened. He controls the galaxies, planetary orbits, weather patterns. There's not a rogue molecule that he's not, in, he's not in charge of. That's what Jesus is saying. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. What a claim. In John 8, Jesus is talking to a group of Jews, and he says, before Abraham, I, before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham was, I am, meaning I've, I've always existed. Before Abraham was born, I was there. In fact, there's never been a point where I didn't exist. I just am. Like, that's a staggering claim, isn't it? Think of it in this way, our culture that we find ourselves in, it isn't actually, it isn't getting less religious. In a way, it's getting more religious. Um, it, it's, it's, it's open to all ideas. Um, our, our culture says, be religious, be whatever. Let that be your truth, though, and you can't push that on others. All religions are essentially valid. Let everyone have their own truth. Who are you to say that your truth is, is true and others are, are wrong. True is whatever is true to you. But think of it this way. Let's imagine you come to a Sunday gathering here at Village 
Um, and I get up and I say, hey, welcome to Village. We're a community who um, seek after God. We're trying to love God, trying to love our neighbors. Um, and by the way, I'm that God that we're here to worship. I created you. I created your family. In fact, I created everyone on earth. Every molecule I'm in charge of, every millisecond I'm in charge of that. There's never been a time that I haven't existed. I am eternal. I am God in the flesh. You owe me your allegiance. Glad you're here this morning. Let's sing and pray. Like, if I said that, there's only two rational responses, really. One response is, I believe him. I, I, I believe he's telling the truth, and therefore I must bow down and worship with the totality of my existence. Or option two, in this case, you'd be correct, is that guy's mad. Like, he, he's, he's crazy. We probably need to alert the authorities. Like, there's this crazy guy leading this cult in the middle of Belfast. Those are really on, your only two rational responses. What's not a rational response is, hey, that was a great service. I thought it was cool. That guy had some interesting things to say, took some notes, got some inspiration. That response doesn't make any sense. And in the same way, Jesus doesn't give you that option either. He, he forces you to choose. There's really two extremes where the only rational response is to, is to crown him as king of the universe, to say, I believe what he says is true. And if that's true, then this overrides all other religions. It overrides its supreme over every other truth claim out there. That Christianity, it can't be on par with every other religion. It, it, it is the truth over against all other truth claims. You either crown him in that way, or the only other option is really to crucify him. To say, I think Jesus was delusional at best, or a dangerous liar at worst. And either way, Christianity has to be the, the worst of all the, the options, the worst of all the other religions. It's, it's dangerous. It's riddled with crazy false claims. Do you see how Jesus is dividing the world? He, he actually forces you to the extreme. Either crucify him or crown him. There's not really any space in between, in the middle. But, but how often do we, especially in kind of Northern Irish Christian bubble, do we try to operate in the middle? We, we, we want to give Jesus a little lip service at times. We'll come to church when it's convenient. We'll, we'll put maybe Jesus follower on our Instagram bio. But if, you've, if, if you're trying to live in the middle, in that middle space, you really haven't done the math. You, you, you really haven't thought about his claims. He doesn't let you just hang out in the middle. If you're saying, I like Jesus, but I don't think he should have any say in how I use my money, how I spend my time my sexuality, how I view my neighbors, how I engage with the world on the internet. You haven't really done the math then. He forces you to, to one of the two extremes. Like when you read the Gospels, you'll see this as we make our way through Luke's Gospel, nobody ever just likes Jesus. Like no one just thinks he's a good guy. You, you see people either want to murder him or they want to worship him. People, people will come and they, they bow down and worship Him and call Him Lord, 
Or they get together with their friends and say, we have to figure out a way to kill this guy. There's no middle space. Do you see how he's divisive? He is is radically inclusive. Grace, salvation offered to all, yet incredibly divisive at the same time. Crown him or crucify him. And lastly, we see Jesus is, is radically subversive. After Simeon sings this song, and then he gives this kind of ominous message about Jesus, that although this is this child who everyone's been singing about through the first two chapters of, of Luke, if you notice that, all these songs keep popping up about this child. He's going to uh, bring salvation. He's this light. Although that's true, he's also going to bring opposition. Although his grace is extended to all, he's also incredibly divisive. After he delivers that message, Simeon, he turns and he gives this more ominous, this almost kind of more serious message to Mary about her. So if this was like a movie, the, the chatter would kind of go in the background and it'd almost be like just Mary and Simeon, like the, the music kind of fades and it's just them talking. And he has this, this ominous message for her. Look at what he says in verse 35. He says, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also. This guy's intense, isn't he? (laughs) Like, chill out. The, the, The Greek word for sword there, it means this long, large blade. He's not saying there's gonna be a a bit of chest pain. He's saying, Mary, something so awful is going to happen that you're going to feel like you're being stabbed in the core of yourself, in the core of your being. Something so horrendous is going to happen that your heart is going to feel like it's shattered over this child. I wonder what Mary did with that information. Like, did she look at Simeon and be like, thanks for this song, but if you could hand me my baby back now, because this is getting a little creepy. I'm starting to feel a little uncomfortable. Or maybe she stored that away, kind of lost it in her mind. I wonder if that caused her anxiety through the rest of her life. Can you imagine living with that? She'd wake up and think, is this today? Is, is something awful going to happen? What's going to happen to my child? Of course, we have the entire story, and we know that those words find their fulfillment in Jesus 33 years later when he's hanging on a cross. Here's this child that everyone has, has placed their hopes and dreams on. He, he's the one who's come to rescue us, to save us, to, to reconcile us to God and with each other. And you see that the authorities end up arresting him and beating him publicly, spitting in his face, mocking him, and then they crucify him. They, they, they nail him to a wooden cross like the most horrendous, embarrassing, most cruel form of death. You must imagine as Mary watched Jesus go through with that, she would, she, I think her mind would have remembered what Simeon said, and she knew, this is the moment my heart is pierced. For multiple reasons, right? Like, this is, her, this is her child. This is her son. 
She's Jesus' mother. Can you imagine the unbearable sorrow of, of experiencing watching him go through that? Jenny and I have like a, a, I know a fraction of what that's like. Abe, Abe got sick not long ago. Um, his lungs weren't working. They had to sedate him, put him on a ventilator, and we were just shattered, like sobbing, and we thought we're losing our son, like awful, awful moment, the lowest moment we've ever had. And Mary was enduring something infinitely worse. Not, because not only was this her, her child, this was also her Savior. Like she believed what the angels had said about Jesus, that, that He would be the Messiah, that, that he, he had come to rescue and save God's people. She, she had placed all her hopes onto Jesus. And suddenly, is, was it all a lie? Here he is dying before her very eyes. Her dream was just coming apart. The sword had pierced her soul. And you think, why? Why is that the story, the way the story went? Why is that what Simeon had, had prophesied, what God had ordained this child to grow up, only to be slaughtered? Here's why. If you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, what you see is humanity, remember they rebel against God, and as a result, God exiles them from that garden, which is that God exiling them from His presence because of their sin. And if you remember that story, it says a flaming sword was, was placed there to prevent humanity from, from accessing God's presence in our fallen state. In other words, because of the presence of sin in this world and in our lives, you cannot access God unless you experience a sword. And that's why in the Old Testament, when the, the people of Israel wanted to approach God and, and worship God, what they would do is they would bring in an animal, a, a, a kind of spotless animal, and a sword would fall on that animal. It, it would go under the knife. It would get sacrificed as this substitute. The sword would fall on that animal so that the person can worship and, and reconnect with God and, and be reconciled to God. So what's happening on the cross is the ultimate sword is falling on to Jesus. He's getting sacrificed. He's the spotless animal. He's the substitute so that we can be reconciled to God, so that we can worship and be in His presence again. That's what Isaiah said. Isaiah said, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. By His wounds, we are healed. Um, but then three days later, he, he bursts out of the grave with this resurrected body. And you think, what, what was that like for Mary? Like in that moment, three days prior, her soul is pierced. She thought, I guess this was all a lie. I guess he wasn't who we thought he was. I guess this was all a shame. And then three days later, Jesus comes out of that grave, and this new life is breathed into Mary's hopes and dreams. She, she's like, the story is true. 
he, 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 he is the one. He is the one who's come to rescue us, to redeem us, to reconcile us to God and to each other. Do you see how subversive Jesus is? See how subversive his ways are? Like there is healing, but it only comes through wounds. There is life that he gives, but it only comes through death. There is flourishing that he offers the world, but it only comes through suffering. And so Jesus gives his life away so, so that us, with our wounds that we carry, might, ha- might experience life because of his death. You see how upside down, how backwards and subversive this whole gospel is? And as we draw to a close, I just want to leave you with this final thought. I love that image of Simeon holding Jesus in his arms. Like he's in possession of Jesus. He has Jesus. And as he's looking at him, he thinks, this is the consolation of Israel that I've been waiting for. I've been longing for, I've been waiting, I've been aching for this one my entire life. And now I have him. Now I can depart in peace. He's he's saying, my my whole life makes sense now because of this child. Like everything I've ever hoped for and dreamed for is wrapped up in this person. Here's the question. Are you in possession of Jesus? Do you have Jesus? Jesus. You see, faith in the Bible, it's not, it's not coming to God um, with your good works, with some kind of offering, and, and hoping that He'll give you salvation in return because of what you've done. Um, it's actually the opposite of that. The, the, what we see in the Bible is, is the only thing that, that you bring is, is your sin. Faith in the Bible is simply taking Jesus. It, it's simply having Jesus. It's when you look at Jesus and you say, I I don't have all the answers, but because of you, I can now depart in peace. Like my life only makes sense because it's wrapped up in you and, and, and everything I've ever longed for and waited for and ached for is somehow wrapped up in you. Even though I can't connect every dot, I have peace because I have you, peace because of what you've done for me. That's what it means to, to crown him, to look to Jesus and say, you're all I have. You're all I've got. I don't need anything else. There's nothing else for me except for you. You see, you either crown him or, or crucify him. And I invite you to crown him this morning. And just before we close, look at that next section. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping, uh, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, 
She began to give thanks to God and speak of Him to all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. I love this woman. I love this picture of this purpose that, 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 that Jesus gives us. So on one hand, that, that, that first question is everything. Do you have Jesus? Can you depart in peace because of Him and what He's done for you? If that answer is yes, um, be like Anna. Like, like be like, like this, this, this elderly woman. She was married, but only for like seven years, and then she's lived as this, this single widow, and now she's 84. And look at her, her waiting and her, her anticipation and her dedication. Night and day, she's waiting, she's worshiping, she's fasting, she's praying, and then she sees this moment. If it wasn't weird enough for like Simeon to come and sing to Jesus, now this old woman comes up, like what's happening here? But she's just this, this encouraging picture of, of this purpose that Jesus gives us. Not only is she, does she, is she longing and waiting for him to come, and for us it's that we're waiting for that second advent, waiting for him to come again, prayerfully, steadfastly, night and day, but also she gives him, he gives us this, this, uh, this, this purpose. She gives thanks to God, and she speaks of him to all who are waiting for the redemption. She's, she's the, like, go tell it on the mountain person in the text. Like, she's, I got I to gotta share with you this, this, about this person, about this peace that's on offer, about what Simeon had said. Um, be like Anna, church. Um, you stand with me? Let's pray.